Blog Talk Radio. Did some really fun stuff with your birthday coming up and also some gigs and 
Spencer knows a little bit of, knows about your background and uh you know, all the different people yeah. you've toured with, like the Clash and Blondie and the Dead Boys, the Ramones, Elvis Costello, the Heartbreakers, Mink DeVille, the Runaways and so many more and Gosh, and, yeah. and we want to thank you also on Bomp Records. Um, yes. So that's like a really big deal. So why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to our listeners. And uh, okay. if anyone wants to call in, uh, the number is 347-677-1036. And uh, the chat room is open. And uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about you know, the B-Girls okay. and, and your other things that you're doing so that everyone is a little more tuned in on that. Yeah, it seems to be the end of two, uh, 2017 and the beginning of 2018. I feel like I'm finally reaching my stride in life. <laughs> so that's awesome. funny. I'm Cynthia Ross, and I'm the bass player uh, of the B-Girls, uh, one of the first all-girl bands, uh, punk bands in Toronto. And uh, I guess I'll tell you a little bit about how we started. I mean, you referred to Fun at the Beach, which was our very first single on Bomp Records. It was our only record ever put out until August uh, 2018. And now we're back on Bomp, where we belong. Um, And it's pretty exciting. It's after 40 years, uh, the Pink Vinyl record is finally out. And it's really a compilation of all of our uh, demo tapes and some live recordings that we did, you know, along the way between, uh, recorded between 1977 and 1982, I believe. And, you know, um, that that first song that we heard, Fun at the Beach, is written by Lucasta Ross, who was the original singer in the B-Girls. And her and mm-hmm. I started the band in Phil Linnett's hotel room in Toronto after a Thin Lizzy gig. So, yeah, so we'll go back to, I guess, 1976 when things were starting to happen around the world uh, with punk, mostly in uh, the UK, uh, New York, and Toronto, really, and San Francisco really had a, had a big scene, too, in L.A., I guess, as well. And, uh, you know, a lot of bands were starting, and, you know, one of the hallmarks of punk was that it was a DIY thing. And a lot of us wanted to be in bands but couldn't play our instruments and started writing songs from scratch. And we were basically rebelling against the current status quo of the music business and especially what was being played on FM radio at the time. You know, the overproduced mm-hmm. um, guitar, you know, bands. Um, the big record business thing and there were a lot of bands starting in Toronto and we were watching these bands start and I kept standing around watching guys start bands and then I kept thinking you know why am I standing around watching I think I can do this like this is you know we should I should be starting a band and so Lucast and I were hanging out in Phil's uh, hotel bathroom and talking to each other. This is funny, Spencer. Yeah, (laughs) at this party. Yeah, and then I just looked at her, and I'd seen her around at tons of shows, like Roxy Music, the New York Dolls, you know, um, the Faces, the Stones, um, Alice Cooper. Like, those were really the Stooges. You know, those were the bands that we were listening to before the punk 
stuff started. And, um, you know, there were probably three or four punk bands that started in Toronto by then, like the Vile Tones, Teenage Head from Hamilton, the Diodes, um, oh, the Cads. I mean, there was a whole art school scene as well. Anyway, I just looked at Lucasta and I said, you know, have you ever thought of starting a band? And she said, every day. And I said, okay, oh, wow. do, you want, do you want to be in a band? And she's like, yes, of course. And, and then she said, you know, but I'll only be in the band if my best friend can be in the band. And I, I knew her best friend, Zinia Slowinski, and she also looked great, you know. And I said, but does she play anything? Lucasta said, no. And I said, do you play anything? She said, no, but I sing. And I said, okay, well, then I guess my sister, Rhonda Ross, will also have to be in the band, and she'll be the drummer, and I know I'm the bass player. And that's, you know, by the end of that conversation, the B-Girls were born. <laughs> so that's how we started. That's great. Isn't that great, Spencer? What a great story. I know. It's like a, it's incredible how groups meld together in a certain way, right, Cynthia? Uh, kind yeah. of like happens. That's the best thing, by the way, right? It's the best thing that happens that way, by the way. Yeah. So it like reminds words, me. I mean, go ahead. What? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was going to say it. Go on. No, no, no. Yeah. Go. Oh, no, no. It cuts out. It's cutting out. I'm sorry. I apologize. Okay. I was going to say that even though, um, you know, the whole, all of these bands were lumped into one category, we were all called punk, like, you know, all of us who played CBGBs and Maxes and, you know, we're in the Lower East Side on the Bowery in New York because we eventually moved there. The B-Girls roots were really, you know, it wasn't, punk wasn't one genre. You know, there were a million different types of music that were uh, all considered punk. Like the Ramones were like the Beach Boys. Um, to me, um, the B girls were like the Shangri Las. That was our roots: the Shangri Las and the Ronettes and the Crystals and the Cookies. You know, that was the stuff that we listened to. We wanted to write um, pop songs that were about girl boy stuff. That you know, what we actually knew and felt: simple songs, simple melodies, two minutes and twenty seconds, no guitar leads. You know, catchy choruses and background vocals and so we knew from day one what we wanted to do and uh we just started writing our own songs because it was easier than learning other people's and then no one could tell if you made a mistake um and all these other bands in toronto started helping us especially the diodes who gave us our name and also uh designed our logo john caddo um did both of those things and they also helped us uh, learn our first, you know, little my bass run and learn bar chords and open chords on the guitar and taught us how to, you know, set our amps and all of that stuff. So it was great. It was like a great camaraderie and everybody wanted us to succeed. And we started practicing in my parents' basement in Thornhill. And I honestly don't know how they put up with the sound of what, what it was like. Um, I mean, really, I, I mean, it was pretty bad. And we rehearsed for hours. Like once we started, it was, I've said this before, but it's like we found religion and we just wanted to shine. And so we worked really hard to become, you know, good. And we took it very seriously. And, uh, you know, eventually we had written three songs. Um, and after the first month, 
So we started in early 77, and by mid-77, we played our first gig at Club David's. I think I think it was with the Vile Tones. I'm not sure. And then we played uh, the Colonial Tavern with Teenage Head and probably the Dios uh, and the Dance. These were all Toronto bands. And um, by then, somehow, through the grapevine, Greg Shaw of Bump Records fame, um, you know, who did... Uh, so many things for so many bands. I mean, the Stooges were on there, the Stiv's solo record, all the garage stuff. He loved, you know, pop and all of that stuff. He he heard about us and he just came to Toronto and paid for us to go into the studio and do a single within three months of us forming the band. And we did Fun at the Beach, backed by B-Side. So we cast her out Fun at the Beach and uh, B-side, you know, we gave writing credits to everybody in the band. And uh, we were produced by Bob Segarini, who was in a band called The Whackers originally. And um, we were, I think we were in a four-track studio, could have either four-track or eight-track, and he bounced the, tra- the tracks. We did it in one afternoon. And, um, you know, the single came out in, I think it didn't come out until early 79 or 78 or something like that. And, you know, we never put out another record, which is insane to think that we moved to New York, we toured with The Clash on the London Calling and on the Take the Fifth tour, and we didn't have a record deal. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, so this whole story about us finally now, 40 years later in 2017, getting all of these demos out produced by some amazing people like Deborah Harry, Craig Leon, uh, Craig, uh, uh, Liam Sternberg, sorry. Um, some of them self-produced by us and, you know, Mick Jones from The Clash. And, you know, I approached um, Patrick Boisel, who's Susie Shaw's husband, and Susie's running Bomb since uh, Greg passed away. Well, I think she was running it actually before Greg passed away, but um, Patrick has another a sister or brother label called um, Alive Natural Sounds. And, you know, I approached him about the idea of putting out all these demos on vinyl because that was really oh, wow. my dream. It never happened, and I wanted pink vinyl. And uh, he said, sure, let's do it. And within three months of talking to Patrick... Um, you know, we did we did the cover together. I worked on the cover with his uh, graphic designer and compiled all the photos by people like Bob Gruen, Rodney Bowes, Teresa Kariakis. Um, and we just, we did a really nice job. And it was the record that never was, you know, that should have come out on a major label back when we were being courted in 1978 oh. and 79. So... It's really a story of never giving up and realizing your dream 40 years later and never giving up on the vision. And, you know, I think it's really timely right now because this whole women's thing, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's almost like this is our Me Too statement in a weird way because mm-hmm. it's the record, it's the way the record business. Yeah, the record business mm-hmm. had, you know, instead of the sign uh, over the, water fountain saying whites only there was the invisible sign that said boys only 
and a mm-hmm. certain kind of boy only. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was really the reality for bands who, all-girl bands who played their instruments. There were very few when we started. There were the Runaways before us, and they were amazing. We opened for them as well. But mostly it was uh, women fronting bands and guys playing the instruments. Um, and then when it came time for uh, record labels were approaching us, you know, to, to sign, we had done some demos for Capital and Craig Leon, who, of course, produced Suicide and the first Blondie record and, you know, many, many more things. You know, he was interested in producing us. Um, Chris Spedding wanted to produce us, and then somehow there was this, I don't know, power play between him and Richard Goddard, so it ended up neither of them ended up producing us. You know, when we toured with The Clash, Mick Jones said, let's go into the studio, and we did two songs with him, and then Debbie produced um, Two Hearts with us also. We had like a Mick Jones version and a Deborah Harry version, and her version is on the record. But the theme from all of these record companies, and Debbie really had predicted it, was that these guys were in, wanted to control us, and they had their own idea of what we should be, what we should look like, what we should sound like, and that just wasn't going to fly with us. And also mm-hmm. uh, saying things like, you can play on the record, but we're going to bring in a session guy to play guitar, or we're going to put a session guy on drums, you know, and... I was kind of naive because I didn't realize, like, now we know about, you know, all those people that, you know, behind the music that even played on the Beach Boys records and, you know, Carol Kay and that the whole uh, Motown um, session musician group. But I was just, in my mind, it was going to be us that was going to play on our records and I wasn't going to sign with anyone that was going to force us to do anything differently. So we never signed with anyone. And we just, we went on to do all these great gigs and get tons of press. Um, If you Google the B-Girls, I mean, you'll see a million fantastic photos and stories about gigs and cover, you know, covered in Rolling Stone and Sounds and New Musical Express, Cream, Rock Scene, and probably the only band that didn't have a record deal. Um... When the record finally came out in August, I was interviewed for uh, Lena Dunham's Lenny's Letter, I think it's called. And, you know, the title of that piece is The B-Girls, The Greatest Band That Never Was. So I feel like it's our our time now to rewrite ourselves Mm -hmm. back into the narrative and to take our rightful place in history. So that's what this record is about. It's unfair. Yeah, it's like unfinished business, and now, you know, I kind of did that. So um, we, I had thought about, you know, doing a reunion with all the original girls, you know, myself, uh, Xenia, Marcy, who became the drummer after my, my sister, Marcy Sadie, and um, I asked all of them, and Lucasta, and for three, four, five years, all, none of them were interested or had time uh, you know, the timing wasn't right to to do a B-Girls reunion. And I was the only one really still playing music. And I had this in my mind. And once I talked to Patrick and I realized, okay, I'm going to have this record actually coming out 
I want to do some gigs. Um, you know, Lucasta had been posting on Facebook. It's the one good thing I can say about Facebook is that it helped the B-girls, you know, get this rebirth going, reset, as mm-hmm. I call it. Um, oh, yeah. She had, yeah, she had posted at the beginning of 2017 about the horrible year she'd had in 2016 and that she was just ready, you know, to call, close the door in 20, 2016 and she just wanted to have some fun. And so I don't use um, private messaging on Facebook. I don't read any of those messages or, you know, I don't use it to communicate. So I wrote on her thread saying, well, Lucasta Ross, how much fun are you willing to have? And so she said, what do you mean? I said, enough fun to do a big girls reunion. And so she just went, what? And I guess I got her at the right moment of vulnerability because she, you know, she immediately said, well, when is this happening? And I said, it's happening when you say yes. And so (laughs) she wrote on Facebook in capital letters, yes, with exclamation marks after it. And she later told me that she thought, oh, my God, now what have I done? Like I've committed to this thing. You know, she'd been in another band that was actually a signed band because she's an amazing singer after the B-Girls and um, then just continued doing jingles. That was her career. She had a long career in jingles. Oh, really? But had, yeah, but had not. Oh. I mean, she sang jingles for every product you can pretty much imagine in Canada, but she had not played in a live band, and she was really not that interested in, in doing it, to tell you the truth, until until that point. And so then, you know, as a, as a courtesy, like I went back and checked with Xenia, and Marcy again to see if, cause, and obviously that would have been the easiest thing, you know, the girls who knew the songs and the original girls to reunite them. And neither of them could do it. Zine is an amazing yoga instructor and she was heading to India for, you know, six months. So she couldn't come oh, wow. to the Yeah, she's amazing. And then Marcy mm-hmm. is an artist and she still plays music, I believe, but I'm not sure. But she was the primary caregiver for her father. And, you know, he was, you know, suffering, I think, from Alzheimer's. And so she was not willing to, you know, leave him at that point in in time. And so, um, you know, understandable. So then I thought, you know what, I live in New York City. Lucasta lives in Toronto. Logistically, what makes sense is for me to find two girls in New York to play um, drums and guitar. And, you know, there's a lot of young uh, girl bands that are out now that love the B-Girls and know the B-Girls, both in New York, L.A., Japan. And so I thought, you know, I'll, I'll just ask around if one of them knows, like a drummer and a guitar player. And, uh, and then another weird situation happened where... I walked into the shop that I work at in New York City and, uh, you know, I have, they're my friends, they're kind of like my family, my two bosses as I call them, Chuck and Elisa, who own the cast in New York City. Elisa was, uh, I didn't know she played anything and I walked into the shop one day and it was like, okay, I had Lucasta, the record was going to come out. Um, oh, actually, no, the record wasn't coming out yet because it was actually Elisa who was instrumental in kind of like pushing me to get a record out. She said, we can't do gigs unless we have vinyl. We should be supporting vinyl. 
and then I approached Patrick. So it happened actually the other way around, sorry. And I saw Elisa one day. I walked into the shop, and she was sitting in the shop with a little amp, a little practice amp, and her her guitar, and she was playing Link Ray's Rumble with her back to me. And I said, oh, my my God, Elisa, do you want to play guitar in the B-Girls? Because she looks right, too. Like, she looks like a B-Girl. There's a certain B-Girl look. And um, she was like, she said to me, oh, well, you know, I don't really play. I mean, I took lessons when I was 12, and I played in some street punk band when I was 15 or 16. But, you know, it's not like I really play or anything. And I said, are you kidding me? Like, you play way better than the B-Girls played when we started and when we started doing (laughs) gigs, you know, at the Ritz and, you know, Irving Plaza. I said, please, give me a break. You're great. And so then she said, okay, well, if you think I can do it, you know, as long as it's not too complicated, cool. And so I said, okay, let's find a drummer. And I asked around, and we got two names, and um, I messaged them both. And this one one young girl, um, Lila Vander, who plays in a couple of other uh, New York girl bands, or one is a girl band and one is Chorizo, uh, <laughs> which is uh, a punk band with a guy and I think two two girls or one girl. But uh, her other band is also on Burger Records. Anyway, they're called Roya Band. And... Lila came to the shop like the next day so she showed the interest first and she had listened to the B-Girls and she said oh my god I love all that stuff I love the Ronettes I love all the girl group stuff and I just you know I said do you think you can play it she said absolutely like without hesitation so I arranged for uh, a practice with me Elisa and Lila and it also works that now all of the B-Girls names end with A Lucasta, <laughs> oh, really? Alisa, and oh, Lila. Funny. Yeah, and so you know, I think before, well, there was a weird thing with the original band that I never realized. The first, very first band, because it was my sister Rhonda, myself, and Lucasta, whose name last name was also Ross. Three of us had the last name Ross, and two of us actually had the first name Cynthia. So. <laughs> Oh, funny. Zinia's real, yeah, Zinia's real first name is Cynthia. So everyone was Cynthia or Ross, and I was both in the original <laughs> B-Girls. Wow. Oh, that's so funny. Kind of, yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of weird. It's like we didn't have to say we were the Ramones. We were actually were the Rosses. So, oh, that's um, great. And, yeah. So, the Rosses, the Ross girls. That's yeah, funny. we were the Ross girls. The Cynthia Ross girls in a weird way, yeah. But, you know, Greg, oh, Shaw, wow. Greg Shaw always thought that we were like, um, what did he call us? The flaming the flaming Ramones meets the female groovies. So, what? Yeah, he loved the flaming groovies and the Ramones. And right. he just said we were like the girl band version of both of those because we were poppies. You know, we were the girl band version of both those bands. Mm. We were we were more like the first, very first Blondie record that uh, Craig Leon produced, the one that was oh, on wow. fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we've had Craig on yeah. our show a couple times. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. How, and how, it's amazing. It's, 
Who who produced your album, uh, the new one? Who produced it? Everyone. That's what I'm saying. It's it's all old demos. It's not new recordings. It's right. Yeah. It never was Great. on vinyl. So it was Craig Leon who, who again produced uh, Suicide and Blondie and you know I'm sure a bunch of other bands. But oh oh the Voidoids. How could I forget that? Yeah yeah. And Richard Hell and the Voidoids, and then um, Liam Sternberg who produced. Rachel Sweet and Kirsty McCall and I believe the Bangles wow. after us. And um you know, Mick Jones who was the guitar player in the clash. And Deborah uh-huh. Henry, who's who's Debbie, you know. <laughs> Blondie. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And that's my, that's fantastic. And then we self produced I think four of these songs in a studio in Toronto. And um I think there's yeah, two live tracks. Long Distance Love and Chinese mm-hmm. Rocks. So, yeah, the mm-hmm. people are doing Chinese Rocks. Let, so let me now, ask you a question. You play bass yeah. guitar, right, Cynthia? Yes. So what got you into bass guitar? What was your attraction to it? I just, you know what, as a kid, I always, when I listen to songs, and like, you know when you were like 12, 13, 14 years old and you used to save your allowance, you know, for doing chores every week and you used to save up for 145 every week and go to the store and buy that 45 and play that one like over and over and over and, you know, I mean, dance to it in your rec room. And that's what we did as kids, but, you know, had little dance parties in the basement, a bunch of girls, um, pajama parties, you know, whatever. That's I always great. Listen, that's great. I always listen I to the that. bass line. I always listen to the bass line in every song. Right. That's what I right. related to. And that's what I'm attracted to. Yeah, and I just feel like people have a certain personality, and they're more, it's like, it's kind of like drugs. Like, people are either cocaine or heroin people, and, you know, it's like guitar or bass people. Like, I don't like anything trebly. I like, I love the bass. I'm drawn to it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I also have this. That's powerful. I also have this theory that it's almost like a sexual uh, relationship thing where guys, and it's not that guys are better guitar players, because I, I think that guitar players are guitar players, bass players are bass players, and it doesn't matter if you're a girl or a guy. But in when I was younger, I had this theory that um, women are more drawn to bass because it's like, it completes your personality. It's like your opposite, and that guys are more drawn to guitar because it's more flamboyant. I don't know. It's it's kind of like the whole animal thing with um, oh how funny you know the the animals that have color the yin and the yang are, the yin and the yang yeah, yeah. like yeah. the yin and the yang yeah. of music that is so yeah. funny. Oh my gosh, you're so cute. Pajama parties. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, we actually wore, we actually wore our pajamas. We imagine. wore our pajamas to CBGB's one time. We were mad what? at Kelly one night. Yeah, we wore... Oh, no. It, it was a um, Allen Ginsberg poetry reading, and God knows what the uh-huh. B-girls were doing on an Allen Ginsberg poetry reading. So, <laughs> Kelly, it was like a benefit for the St. Mark's Church because there had been a fire there, so there was the reading was at uh, CBGB's. And Hilly had stacked, oh like, stacked the lineup with, I mean, Elvis Costello was on it, Mink DeVille was on it, um, Richard Hell was on it. Wow. Um, wow. 
And then That's the great. B-Girls, the B-Girls were on it. So Hilly had told us that we were going to go on um, before Allen Ginsberg and that it would be at 11 o'clock. And we always, um, at Arturo's loft, I think at that point, it was before we had actually moved to New York. And uh-huh. uh, we, used to use, we used to use Arturo and Joey's loft on 2nd Street as our dressing room when um, oh, that's we played great. TVs. Yeah. So all our stuff was over there. And we were standing around, and he just kept pushing our time later and later and later. And then Allen Ginsberg was, like, doing his poetry reading, and we were getting tired. <laughs> and it was, I think it was almost 1 o'clock by that time. We weren't, you know, used to shows being so late in Toronto. The bars closed at that time at 1. And they may have even closed at midnight. I don't know. But um, so I kept saying to Hilly, like, Hilly, like, when are we going on? And he said, Oh no! Now I'm putting Elvis Costello on before you, and you're going to go <laughs> oh, between God. him and Mink Deville. And so I got really pissed off, and I got I managed the band, so I got the girls together, and we went back to Arturo and Joey's, and we changed into our pink flannel pajamas, and we wore pink flannel pajamas and cowboy boots, and brought our pillows back what? to CBGBs. Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. That's a show for the Allen Ginsberg poetry reading. Wow, that's incredible. And we stomped in and we we threw our pillows down on the stage when we played and we just like wore our pajamas and you know <laughs> years years later Elvis Costello I ran into him somewhere and he said oh God I remember you you're those girls that wore those pajamas on stage and the cowboy boots that was brilliant who thought of that I was like oh God that's funny so yeah that was another thing oh. about the B girls is that our, we, we were legitimately <laughs> friends. We went everywhere together. We liked each other. We were a girl gang. We had fun. We went to every show together. You, you know, we were inseparable. We dressed alike. You know, we made, we made our own T-shirts. Everyone used to paint their own stuff. Like, nobody went to um, things like Trash and Vaudeville. Like, that, that wasn't a thing, you know, for us. Like, it, everything was DIY, like, the whole... We would go to thrift stores. We would wear men's shoes and pointy men's shoes and, you know, <laughs> tight, tight black pants and big baggy T-shirts. We wore, like, our grandfather's uh, white shirts and little skinny black ties, black vests, you know, heavy eyeliner. That's for sure. Wow. Uh, and the Shangri-Las. That was our thing, you know. We didn't smoke cigarettes. Um, yeah, we were like the good girls who lived next door, who hung out with the bad boys on the block. Like that was our thing. <laughs> yeah, well, you had the Ramones. You had, you had Joey's place, and uh, where else were you? Oh, you yeah. were at the loft with. I mean, <laughs> oh, I slept on has a lot we to slept, add to that. <laughs> we slept on Sylvain's floor. Um, oh my gosh! You know, there's a photo in the liner notes of us in Toronto rehearse it was our rehearsal for um fun at the beach and b-side and it shows us in in our rehearsal space in Toronto with um uh Greg Shaw and Arturo and Didi Ramon and Bob Segarini oh, and they great. were there they were like the I guess they were like the pre-production team I don't know but it was <laughs> It was pretty hilarious, and, and it, I remember it wasn't our place, and so, you know, there were, like, 
dishes and cups and saucers, and Dee Dee was using this cup for water, and, um, you know, he kind of just put it down on the counter. It was a big old loft in Toronto. It was, a, it was actually a, uh, a coffin fact, that building. Um, oh, wow. Anybody knows. Down, it was called Niagara Street. And um, so we were in, it was this guy Joe's place, and we shared the rehearsal space with two other bands. So Dee Dee just left his dirty cup sitting on the counter, and I remember telling him, Dee Dee, like, you have to do your dishes. Clean up after yourself. And he gave me this horrible look. And Rodney Bowes, who was like the fifth B-girl, he was our photographer from the beginning, and he ran our fan club. Um, he took a photo of Dee Dee with this horror, giving me the, like the stink eye doing the dishes <laughs> in the sink. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, I listen, I want to I bring in something on a sidebar. Uh, you played with a group called, one of my favorites, New York Junk in New York, and you came out your last oh, album yeah. with Phenomenal. Yes. And uh, just talk a little bit about New York Junk, because that's one of my favorite groups. And watching you is incredible, by the way, what, seeing you play on stage. And it's a great group. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's kind of weird, because New York Junk was my reintroduction back into music again after, you know, I left, I moved here in 77 with the B-Girls, the end of 77, and then um, moved back to Toronto in um 86 or the end of very end of 85 after i had my first child in new york i was living on 10th street and well i have to i guess i have to step back a little bit i was playing in a few bands after the b girls and one of them was a band called uh the renegades here in new york and uh joe stabnik who is the singer songwriter guitar player in new york junk um was the singer, songwriter, guitar player in the Renegades. And my husband, Billy Rogers, uh, who is a great drummer, who has since passed away, he um, he was in the band with me and Joe, and this guy named Jimmy Stout, who's an amazing, like, psychobilly guitar player. Jimmy lives in Vermont now. But he was like the, like Brian Setzer on uh, speed, I would say. Um and, you know, had, like, hair that stood up, you know. He was really tall, and probably with his hair, he was about six foot four. Um, but uh, so we had we had this band, The Renegades. I'd played in a few other bands uh, after the B-Girls. But um, we started doing gigs in 85, and it was when I was pregnant with my daughter Amanda in 84 was when we were rehearsing all through the pregnancy and then what ended up happening was um we had a gig our first gig booked opening for johnny thunders at uh, irving plaza club 57 oh. and i ended up going into labor like oh, three, days wow. be- <laughs> three days before the gig and so oh my oh, god i Funny. i oh. went to the hospital and um you know my daughter was born and I was supposed to stay in the hospital for two days because there were some complications. And I ended up going to the guy who delivered the baby and saying, look, I promise I'll come back, but you have to let me leave for five <laughs> hours because oh I, have a, I have a gig tonight. This is the day, the day <laughs> after I had my child. And, you know, you have this adrenaline Incredible burst. Incredible story. 
Yeah, and so oh, yeah. I, like in my mind, that was a thing that I would never want it to be able to be said. Oh, you can't have a girl in the band because what happens mm. if you know she has a baby or something? You know, like you can't make the gig. So uh, I actually did go and play that gig, and then went back to wow. the hospital right Jeez. after the gig. Oh, oh wow. wow. Yeah, the next day after having my daughter. And then, uh, so, yeah, we did that. And then a few weeks later, we played CBGBs. And, um, you know, and then once we decided we were moving back to Toronto, Billy also played with Johnny Thunders after Jerry Nolan. He was in, uh, he did all Johnny's solo stuff with uh, Walter Lure. Plus he played in the Heroes with Walter Lure Lure and uh, Mm -hmm. Richie Lure. I played in that band for a little while, too, after Billy Rath left. Um, and he played on the Ramon Subterranean Jungle with Walter also. So, you know, we moved to Toronto, and um, we started, Billy started playing in some bands up there. And, you know, I was being a mom. I had one child, and then two years later I had my son, Dylan. And uh, so I wasn't really playing music for a little while there. And... Then I started playing, I played in a few other bands in Toronto with Billy, some with Billy, like a band called Handsome Neds, and he's an amazing uh, country-ish guy. And then I played in a band called Shotgun Shack with um, Danny and Neil, Neil Bartley, the Bartley brothers, and this guy named Travis Good, who's now in a band called The Sadies, if you've ever heard of The Sadies, they're incredible. Tra- uh, Travis and Dallas Good are the Good Brothers. And uh, they're actually the Good Brothers' sons, Brian and Bruce Good. But um, anyway, so then there was a period of just not playing music at all for me and just, like, working um, regular jobs and being a parent and, you know. um, Being a mom, yeah. Yeah, Billy and I split up and then being a single mom. And we were still Mm -hmm. really good friends. And then... um, you know, I still, my heart was still music, and but then I, here it goes back to Xenia, I took yoga teacher training with Xenia, who was became oh, wow. the singer in the B-Girls after Lucasta left, so there uh-huh. were various personnel changes in the B-Girls, um, and Xenia and I had lived together in the B-Girls uh, in Toronto, and then when we moved to New York, Xenia and Marcy lived together, and uh I lived with Billy and on my own at first. And then, um, so I decided to, I was going to do yoga with Xenia and I did that yoga teacher training. And then we went on a yoga retreat to Peru, to Machu Picchu with 10 people. Oh, wow. And it, nice. Yeah. And so it was, that was probably in 2000, I'd say it was probably 2007 and it was at that yoga retreat, you know, we were doing some kind of, uh, we were doing yoga every day in the Sacred Valley and then um, very un girl like but <laughs> nonetheless. Um, it's cool. It's a it's cool, cool thing. It's very cool. Zinia's That's amazing. That's the yin and the yang again. It is. Yeah. And it's all part of us, it you is. know, the exploration of self and all of that uh-huh. stuff. And so... Oh, so yeah. it was at this yoga retreat that we were doing some um, relaxation thing after the yoga session with visualization. And mm-hmm. it was the weirdest thing. I had this thing where I, I could see myself as a child sitting in the corner dreaming about music and art and being in a band. 
and it was like this sad girl crying in the corner, waiting, wow. waiting for someone to come back and get her. Wow. And oh, I made this com- wow. yes, I made I made this commitment on that trip. I said, "Oh my God, I've become, you know, I don't know which is right side and left side, but I've become all responsible, and no art and no fun and you know no self soul fulfilling uh, nourishment in my life and always doing the right thing and." you know, saying yes to everything responsible and never saying no um, and just not having time for myself. And, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go back and I'm going to go and grab her out of the corner and I'm going to start playing music again and I'm going to start so it was an doing art again. an awakening yes. for you. Yeah. Yes, and I'm going to start awakening. writing. And so since then, so then what happened was I went back to New York um, I started, I got back in touch with Joe because I was friends with his wife, Hillary. She was, her and I were really good friends with Johnny Thunder. She was one of his closest friends and I was one of his closest friends. And through Hillary, I actually met Joe. I didn't even know Joe like back in the, the early 70s, the late 70s. And um, that's how, you know, the renegade started. So I went to visit them in Queens and Joe and I went down to the basement and we started playing music. And it was, oh, wow. we, had, we had never stopped. And Joe had been playing a little bit with Gary Barnett, who's the drummer in New York Junk and had been in one of Joe's first bands. And so that was the formation of New York Junk was like the trio of me, Joe and Gary Barnett. And so we started in 2008 is when we started practicing and doing gigs and uh, you know, the fall November of 2008 was our nine year um, anniversary for New York junk. And we had put out one CD called uh, passion of the 10th street blues that we'd done in Joe's basement mm-hmm. in Queens. And then we have this great album called doing time in New York city that was produced by this guy, Ron, we call him Ra Bob in, um, in Prague, Czechoslovakia, CD. And, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, and uh, so we had started playing in Prague basically once a year, and so just as I had with the B-Girls doing all the arranging the gigs and doing the artwork and, you know, pretty much everything, I was doing the same thing in New York Junk, and so I knew people, I knew a friend, Phil Schoenfeld, in, who was living in Prague. He had lived in New York, and he's English. And so we kind of started this exchange program where um, we would go to Prague, and we would open for Phil's band in Prague, Dresden, and Berlin. And he, had a, he has a band called uh, Phil Schoenfeld, Southern Cross. And he, also, mm-hmm. he had also played with, like, Roland S. Howard and Nikki Sutton and those kind of people. So oh, yeah. it was very dark yeah, so it was a great match for New York Junk. And then they would come to New York and play with New York Junk. And, you know, we went to Cleveland, uh, to Youngstown, actually, to Cedars one time with, with Phil. And so we would do this every year. We did it for about five years in a row. And uh, then we decided to record there. And this this record that uh, Ron Sinovitz, that's his actual real name, produced there, with uh, a Mac Golden, who is the engineer and runs the studio. Um, I think it's called Gold, Golden uh, Sound. 
uh, No One Studio in Prague. It's beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of the other band that records there. They're like this huge, huge band. I'm hoping Joe's listening and he'll call in or Ron and tell us who they are. It's some huge band and the one guy lives in Prague. Anyway, we did that record and it's got fantastic reviews. It's a couple a couple years old. I think it's going this year it'll be three years since we put that out. But we've recorded another record uh, since uh, about two years uh, ago in Prague as well in the same studio, and it's going to come out this year. So oh, it's wow. taken us a while to make. What a great thing. Great. great. Yeah. I can't so, wait for that. The Prague sounds yeah, so and then different. We have I another, mean, we have, yeah, so it's kind great. of weird because the net, the Spencer's seen us. We have another, I recruited somebody else into New York Junk, and his name is Jeff Warren. Mm-hmm. He's one of my best friends. And he's great. He's the, he's the guitar player in New York Junk. He was in a band mm-hmm. in England. He's from near Birmingham. It's called the Black Country, like in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere, basically. Um, Warsaw is where he's from. Uh, he, mm-hmm. And sorry if I'm calling Warsaw the middle middle of nowhere. If you're <laughs> listening, no, uh, it is. He was in a band called um, the Gun, Gunfire Dance in the early '90s, and you know I missed the whole '90s thing because that was when I was you know I had my kids and they were young and I wasn't playing music, so I wasn't even listening to music. But Jeff's band um, with this guy Ozzy and Birchie and his friend was the singer Ant. Um, they played Continental Divide in New York. They played CBGBs with uh, Jesse Mallon's band at the time, Degeneration. So it was right. like, I'm just trying to place it all in time. Um, and then Jeff stopped playing for a very long time because he became, he, he, well, basically his singer in Gunfire Dance was his best friend and he committed suicide. And so Jeff oh, no. was kind of, yeah, he was done with rock and roll. And mm-hmm. he was he became an author, and he's written, uh, I believe, three books so far. Yes, um, what Mac is his and name Beth, again? Jeff Ward. Okay. W A R D. You can Google him. He's got three books: Mac and Beth, oh, yeah. uh, Parasite, and Carry On Dreaming. And he's currently mm-hmm. writing a book about Tawana Brawley. So not oh, a fiction. Oh wow! To- totally, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And so the way that Joe and I met Jeff is right after we recorded um, doing time in New York City, Joe and I went to, oh, no, it was actually before we recorded. It was when we were just playing. um, We were playing in in Germany and uh, Prague with Phil, and we hadn't recorded over there yet. But we decided to stop on the way back to New York in London because Walter Lure was playing in London, and Walter, you know, from the Heartbreakers, who's one of my mm-hmm. oldest and dearest friends, when he does um, the Waldos in in England, he uses Jeff's old band as his English Waldos. So Birchie and oh, uh, really? oh, and Ozzy are Walter's Waldos over there, and um, oh God, uh, Jez is the guitar player because Jeff's no longer in the band. So what had happened is I didn't know Jeff and Jeff had come with Walter from New York because, you know, these are his mates backing Walter and Walter used Jeff's guitar because he was afraid to bring his, you know, on the plane and into England uh, because airlines are 
and the borders are getting weird about certain guitars. So Jeff was opening the show for the for the Waldos at the 100 Club, and Joe and I were there. And Jeff was doing a, like solo, semi-acoustic, folk type, um, but they, he sounded like T-Rex. Like so, I was totally mm-hmm. mesmerized by him. He was doing T-Rex songs with protest lyrics, basically. So oh, wow. very political protest lyrics. And mm-hmm. so I was, you know, mesmerized by this guy. And I started talking to him afterwards, and, you know, he's English. And I was saying to him, like, you know, that was amazing. Like, you sound like Mark Boland, and where else, you know, where else do you play? And he said, well, actually, I live in Brooklyn. What? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I moved to New York, like, you know, years ago, and uh, I don't play music anymore. I'm not really interested in playing rock and roll. I've kind of, I'm done with all of that. Anyway, we arranged to meet back in New York for lunch, and we did that as soon as we all got back. And I convinced him, <laughs> I'm good at that, to coming to uh, a New York junk rehearsal. And uh, he's oh, been in great. the band ever since. Yeah, he's been in New oh, York wow. junk ever since. And he was the missing link for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know what I want. You know what I want. Well, uh, let me ask Cynthia. you a question, um, Cynthia. What made you record in Prague? What was it about that area that you recorded? Oh, it's well. First of all, we were comfortable over there. It's beautiful there. People yeah. get the music there. It was cheaper uh, for the vi- the vinyl factories over there are like the best in the world and I think it was a little mm-hmm. bit cheaper I don't think it is now but it was just before people were starting to do vinyl again like now now all the big record labels are doing it again of course and so there's you know six month lineups because you're waiting in line after the big people um, and uh, Ron and Amak had a connection with the vinyl factory over there in Prague and so you know we did the artwork ourselves for the album I you know I art directed it basically and wrote the liner notes for that too just like I did with the b-girls and um yeah it was more DIY and I don't know I talked to people over here and they were they were saying like the quality of the vinyl wasn't great and all of that stuff at that time so we decided to do it there and it was great the the bad thing was the shipping you know over here we had to send it by boat it was more expensive, so half of the vinyl stayed in Prague, and uh, Ron became New York Junk headquarters in Europe, and he would ship to anyone who was ordering from Europe, and Joe was shipping uh, to anyone here in North America, and that's how we did it, and we're selling it, you know, just at gigs, basically. And, that's so uh, interesting. So interesting yeah, but then, about you being in so Prague. Then it's like a yeah. whole, when I go on to like the other things that I'm doing right now, mm-hmm. I'm in a third band because now I've got the B girls, the rebirth of the B girls, and we've done three gigs so far. And I'm, you know, we did um, Burger Beach Bash at Coney Island, and then we did it was our first gig, and we only knew six songs, so we did the six songs instead of doing the three songs twice. So it was exactly like starting the B girls again, and with, mm-hmm. the, with the new girls, don't feel like new girls it just feels like it's a whole new band and it's probably better than I could have ever 
hoped for, you know. It injected new energy and new blood, and the arrangements are slightly different. And so, you know, I actually want to record a single with the current lineup, the now B girls, and right. um, I, I want to try and find a Japanese record label to put that out. And then my oh, the end oh, of that, that would be of, cool. Yeah, yeah the end really of that happy. part of the dream is for us to go yep. to Japan. Oh and yeah, play Japan mm-hmm. because we they played. They love you. They love us. We played Union Pool in Pink Brooklyn. Pink pajamas um, and pillows. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I, think I mean, we're you, total. You need, you need to, you need to do that. They're very. Yeah. That would be very much their culture. You but know? there's so many, but, there's so many girl bands in Japan that are exactly like the B girls. There's even uh-huh. uh, girl bands there that have covered the B girls material and recorded it. So. Oh, really? Um, well, yes. So when we played at Union Pool, like our thing is with the B-Girls, they're always ha- the, the opening band always has to be a young girl band because that's what The Clash did for us, you know, putting us on. And so mm-hmm. we're going to do that for girl bands now. And it just makes the whole oh, thing nice. feel way better, way more fun. So we had um, Baby Shakes was the girl band, and they're great. Um, and they're very B-Girlish. Uh, they opened... Well, it was actually their gig, to tell you the truth. They they put us on their gig that they already had with um, two Japanese bands, a girl band called the Melvins, not the Melvins punk band from the U.S., and a guy band called the Fadeaways, and they're both like garage mm-hmm. bands. And so that was the most incredible gig, completely sold out. Um, we sold so much merch, and the bands from Japan brought posters that they had had for years that they collected through oh, huge wow. rock and roll collectors over there. They had the original Bomp B-Girls CD. Uh, sorry, See? not the CD, the, yeah, the record, the 45. To be. And, mm-hmm. yeah, and so we had that. And then, you know, so, so the end of my dream with the B-Girls is for us to go to Japan, and I'm planning that for fall 20, 2018. And then that's kind of... That's the last chapter, and then I'll go back to writing the book because I'm writing a book now as well. I had stopped. You are? Yes, I'm writing a book, yes. I was writing for That's about fantastic. a year before the B-Girls thing started happening. Wow. So, and then it just seems like everything is just, you know, you have a year where things seem really dark and nothing's happening. You feel like you're going nowhere, and that's the time where you just have to keep going because, I think I was super depressed in 2016, but I was doing stuff. I was writing. I was playing in New York Junk. I started playing in um, Electrojets, which is my third band with Jeff Ward and Don Majuri Cipolla on drums. And so Electrojets is us doing Jeff Ward's material, but Mm -hmm. rock and roll and it's electric. So, uh, sometimes we do it as a two-piece, Jeff and I, and when Dom is around, uh, he plays drums with us. But Dom is also, he does uh, several other projects. He's the front person for a project with Lydia Lunch, uh, where it's called Phantom Family Halo, and they just put out a record called Family in Mourning. So we're all doing like a million different things, and it's kind of, feeding, fueling the positive creative energy. And it just seems mm-hmm. to be like this big explosion. It's almost like we have a modern day version of the factory now where That's we're cool. all like 
yeah, we're circulating, mm-hmm. doing things. Like Jeff is writing his book. I'm writing my book in poetry. Dom is playing in a indie band called uh, Torres, but then he's also he wrote he writes songs for this guy named uh, he's called Bonnie Prince Billy, and I can't remember his real name, but someone out there will remember. And um, you know, doing this stuff with Lydia Lunch, this experimental noise stuff. So Jeff, Dom, and I recorded an Electrojets album last December, not this past one, a year ago, at um, so the end of 2016, at Martin Bc's studio in Gowanus, Brooklyn. And he, it's, he's famous for all the noise stuff, like uh, Sonic Youth and all of that noise experimental stuff. And so we mm-hmm. recorded Electrojets mm-hmm. there. And Jeff's friend is produ- is mastering it and mixing it in the UK now in a, wow. in Australia actually, mm-hmm. and um, we wow, have, you guys are just like everywhere. <laughs> yeah, You're and everywhere. then we have this guy. That's we great. have this guy who's probably listening, uh, Sonic Ray Hansen, who was in the Hypnotics. We had him mm-hmm. add guitar tracks to the Electrojets stuff because um, Jeff's friend went over and recorded. Uh, Ray in London and sent you know sent us the tracks and mixed them into the recording and so that record is almost completely mixed and that's going to come out in a few months so this year we'll have a new wow. York junk record um, mm-hmm. an, ele- an electric jets vinyl probably and uh, B-Girls 45 uh, Jeff's new book on Tawana Brawley um, you know Your new book. 45 yeah, my book. Your new book. And, yeah, and then, and then Japan current, next year. And Japan, <laughs> Japan. But then again, tomorrow night, tomorrow night, it, today's my birthday, mm-hmm. and I'm managing Yay! this band called Beachwood. Yeah. And uh-huh. they're a young band from New I was York gonna City. Oh. Yeah. And uh, their record is actually out today, so it's my birthday present. It was just oh, coincidence wow. that it actually came out Hey, by the way, Cynthia, today. I heard it's a great record. I heard it. It's fantastic. It's getting it press all over the world. I think I think Europe. we're going to have them on. I'm going to book them. I'm just telling you. I'm yeah, they them. opened for David Johansson last week at um, really? yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Elsewhere. That's, that's right. I saw And that. the room was packed for them at 8.30. They're amazing live. Mm-hmm. They're like really raw and... I mean, I you know Jeff actually turned them, turned me on to them, Jeff Ward and uh, mm. Chuck Carino, who's Elisa's husband. You know, so it's all again this whole little inner circle of things. Oh, and Chuck and Elisa have a band called the Trash Bags, who are fantastic. So and they're they're playing the Beachwood record release party tomorrow at Berlin in New York City on Second Street and Avenue A in the basement, and. Electrojets is playing it, and of course Beachwood, and then this other band that we love called Twin Guns. So mm-hmm. we're doing it like a completely old school thing. No online tickets. It's tickets the door for five bucks. You know, we just want it to be full. We want Great. it to be jam packed, yep. mm-hmm. and we're going to have the Beachwood record there. And you know, one of their friends is DJing, and you know, it's just going to be fun. But so yeah, so I went and saw Beachwood, uh, probably last. I'm back. Sorry guys, I I dropped. I dropped. Oh, you dropped. Down the studio. Does that mean I'm sorry, did, did I, I drop? In the middle of everything. No, That's you right. didn't did drop. I... Spencer okay. and you are both there. I dropped. Oh, we're here. Sorry we're about here. that. 
Really yeah, and I have some beach. questions for you, too, when you're done. Go ahead. Okay. Let me Sorry, just talk I'm about here. Beechwood on a live natural sound. Yeah. And Alive, so Alive is the brother label to Bump. <laughs> so here we, here we <laughs> go again, back in the whole circle of things. Patrick Wazell is Susie Shaw's husband, and he runs Alive Natural Sound. And so when I approached him about the B-Girls, uh, putting out the B-Girls record, I had told him about Beechwood because I think I started talking to Patrick in January or February of uh, 2017, and B-Girls record came out by August. But, um, you know, he was asking me what's going on, what am I doing, and I said to him, you know, I don't know if you're interested in putting out any more records because, like, him, you know, him and Susie, she runs Bump Mail Order, and it's a back catalog thing, and they have tons of, you know, they have Kill City, uh, by the Stooges, they have tons of power pop stuff, they have stiff solo stuff. So they're just, you know, running on all the stuff that they have. And then Patrick's label is more like blues and, um, you know, it's different. It's like blues and Americana in a weird way, but he actually discovered the Black Keys. Um, oh, really? You know, wow. Yes. So their first really? record was with Patrick. That's yeah. Heavy. So mm-hmm. there's this whole little... Thing. Anyway, I kept talking, you know, we were doing the B-Girls project and he kept saying to me, hurry up with the artwork, Cynthia, it's a deadline, he's French. Cynthia, hurry up, you know, we can't, it's not like it's a big record label, we can't waste like a week on like the cover, like come on, get back to us. I was like driving them crazy with the color pink, had to be a certain pink and oh yeah, I mean... It was funny, but I wanted what I wanted because I waited 40 years. So um, I was talking to him about Beechwood because I went to see them probably in January of last year at Chuck and uh, Jeff, you know, telling me about them. And when I saw them, I was like, oh, my God, like this is the first new band I've seen in 20, more than 25 years that I've actually liked. Like, there's just something about them. They're wild. You know, they're just authentic New York City, rock and roll. They're young. They're, like, 25, 24, and 21. Mm -hmm. They look great. They have good songs. I mean, they just, like, you see it, and you can can just see it. They have it all. They they just have it, you know. And uh, so I kept trying to get Patrick interested in them, and he kept saying to me, Cynthia, I'm not interested in signing any new bands. All these young bands are shit. They send me all this stuff, and it's garbage. It's terrible. They can't play. That's why I'm doing the root stuff and the blue stuff. At least these guys are, are real. You know, they're like, they have no money. They're not like trust fund people, you know, uh, their parents paying for shit. Like, these are poor people that don't have money. You know, they live in vans, and they're on the road, like, 365 days of the year. So that's what I'm interested in doing. I don't want some young kids from New York. It's probably bullshit. And so um, I said, okay. And then we finished the B-Girls record, and I brought it up again. And I said, Patrick, honestly, Beechwood, I I really think you need to listen to Beechwood. And he said, oh, okay, you're not going to stop. I don't want to talk to them, though. Because I said, you know, Gordon Lawrence is three three guys. Um, Sid Simons on bass, Issa Teneo on drums, and Gordon Lawrence 
uh, on guitar and vocals most of the time. I mean, that's another thing. They all play every instrument, and they switch at one point where the singer and the drummer change instruments, and Issa sings and, and Gordon plays drums. Uh, but um, I said, you know, uh, Gordon, you know, can I get him? Can I give him your number? And he said, oh, absolutely not. I don't want to talk to the guy. Just send me the music because if I hate it, I don't want to tell them that I hate it. You know, I mean, really, oh, wow. yeah, I don't want to waste. I don't want to yeah. waste my time. So I got Gordon mm-hmm. to send me a link to their band camp or something, you know, and I sent it to Patrick, and he was like so cynical and so negative about it, and then. Like the next day, he phones me and he says, "Shit, Cynthia, this is really good." Like, <laughs> it's oh wow, really that's good. great! It's really good. And so then I said, "Okay, I know. I've been trying to tell you." And he said, "Oh my god, I could, you know, I'm pissed now. I wasted six months. I could have had this out, and now it's the wrong time of the year." And you know, I don't know, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, just do it. And he said, okay, get the guy to phone me. And so then, you know, Gordon phoned Patrick, and we went from there. And, you know, by the summer, um, I think they signed a deal with Alive, a small little deal for two albums. And um, they had originally been uh, with Burger on cassette, you know, like everybody else. And uh, anyway, they, the the first record, uh, Songs from the Land of Nod, is out today. And right. it's available on Amazon. It's available through Bomp Mail Order. And it's at Rough mm-hmm. Trade and various other shops. And it's it's incredible. It's the album of the month, this month, in the February Rock and Folk in France. We just got a French booking oh, agent. That's great. We're going to get them over there by the mm-hmm. spring and back in the fall. And you know they're they're on their way. As I said, up and coming, Cynthia. Up and yeah. coming. Yeah, I mean that's great. Danny Fields. And you Danny heard them, Fields Spencer? Knows about them. <laughs> oh, that's great. And Spencer, you yeah. heard them? Yeah, Cynthia gave me a CD, and Cynthia got to mail Holly a CD so she hears it. Yeah, um, I, 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 yeah. I, I the album the album is really good, Holly. Um, it's really good. The mm-hmm. fresh sound, and I think. Cynthia, you know I'm good at this at picking hot ones. This is a hot one. You know what I'm saying? Which one? Mm-hmm. Uh, Beachwood, the the album. Yeah. Uh, and so and playing, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like playing, to hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're playing a That'd number cool. of songs. There's um, yeah, there's like a couple songs that are getting a lot of airplay. Uh, the college stations and WFMU, they're playing. Um, I don't want to be the one you love, and you can look up the music video for that. And there's another song that's called Heroin Honey getting a lot of college airplay and you know it's been mm-hmm. featured in a lot of online magazines and um you know getting airplay on spotify in germany and the netherlands and um yeah so it's been like four or five songs that have already been picked up as singles from this one record wow. i mean when jeff when jeff was in my living room because they've actually already recorded uh they've just recorded the next record for that's going to come out probably uh in the spring and it's it's incredible too it's like they write incredible songs um jeff was sitting uh in my apartment in new york sitting on the living room floor we were listening to you know the the unmixed songs for the new record and he just looked at me and said shit cynthia you you've rediscovered the beatles (laughs) oh that's funny 
It's that good. It's when that I, good. Cynthia, you know, when I met you at the Richard Hell event, when you gave me the CD, and I saw the, oh, the yeah, singer you were with, yeah. he's a really cool-looking yeah. guy. He's a very cool-looking guy, too. He's got that look, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely They've all got looking that forward look. to hearing this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. this will be cool. You know, I had a couple questions for you, Cynthia, that um, that I want to go back to a little bit. Um, you sure. have a really strong European tie um, to a lot of your to a lot of your new music with New York Junk, and um, you know, I was very intrigued by the Prague connection because I've done a lot of uh, traveling over to Prague and. I have a lot of friends that play in Prague bands, you know, the Prague sound, the Prague movement. In fact, I did a whole show with uh, Prague Not Radio. Not Prague Rock, though. Prague Rock is just something but else. It's totally different. Prague yeah, Rock is two different ones. Yeah. yeah, and then there's Prague, and then there's, you know, just like so much different sound. Um, yeah. So your time over there and with the people that you worked with and – the lifestyle, didn't you, like, really feel like that was, like, a good fit for you? Especially oh, totally. when you're in your creative mode? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, our first, so, like, we'll go back to our ties with Phil Schoenfeld, my friendship with him from, mm-hmm. like, you know, the the early, uh, very early 80s, you know, the heroin days in, in New York City, basically on the Lower East Side in the East Village. Um, he's a guy that, you know, it's it's also connection to the whole Nick Cave, uh, Roland S. Howard, you know, all the people that came from Melbourne over to mm-hmm. Berlin in the eighties because he's friends with Chris Hughes who who's in Oz right. who came came over then and he had a band with this guy named Bruno Adams that you can also look up with Chris Hughes and uh Bruno Adams and Phil Schoenfeld and they were very much in that uh scene and you know, it's a whole mm-hmm. lineage of Chris Hughes plays with Mick Harvey, you know, who and Mick Harvey plays with PJ Harvey, who played mm-hmm. with Nick Cave, who played with Lydia Lunch. So it's, again, this whole, there's this, you know, international connection of the underworld, underground underworld thing. And I think that Beachwood is, is actually the youngest, newest member of this thing. But when we That's played cool. in Prague, yeah, because they're going to be huge in, in Europe. So when we played mm-hmm. in Prague, we played in this bunker. Uh, I forget what it's called, but it was a club that was in uh, a bomb shelter 50 mm-hmm. meters under the ground in under a park. And there, you know there's a few of them in Prague, but this was an actual, oh, yeah. it's called the, bunk, the Bunker Club. And so we played there for the first gig. And literally, like, it's a fucking bunker. You go down these crazy mm-hmm. stairs, you know, I don't even remember if there's bathrooms, but it's like hallways. It's where they hid from, uh, you know, the oh, Russians, yeah. or the Germans, sorry, mm-hmm. yeah, during the war. Yeah. And just incredible down there. And it's more like the way the art and the music is more the way New York was in the 70s. That's how it feels. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's still cheap. Well, maybe not now, but it was still cheap enough when we first started going there eight eight years ago um, that people, you know, buy places and they live in lofts and there's artists. You know, it's still way cheaper than New York or L.A. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, the, oh, know, and the other thing, I, yeah, the other thing I wanted to tie into, like how this is all going 
fitting together in this endless story of a circular thing is I, I was interviewed exactly a year ago by this woman, Tanya Pearson, and I hope she's listening. She's doing this thing called the Women of Rock Oral History Project, and you can Google that online. Uh, it's for Smith College Library, and it's for their archives. And what she's doing mm-hmm. is she's videoing interviews of influential but underrepresented women in music from the 30s, 40s, the 60s, the 70s. It started oh, wow. with like the 70s and the 80s and 90s, but she's since influenced in sort of inter- interviewed like some, you know, a woman who played drums like in the 1940s or 50s, you know. Oh, wow. Um, yes. Yeah, so she, she had done only 30 interviews um, until very recently. Now she's done a bunch more. And, you know, she had done Lydia Lunch and Patty Schemmel, who was in Hole, and she interviewed me, and she um, had interviewed Jimmy K. Fritz, who was in Pussy Galore, and Allison Wolf, who was more of like the Riot Girl thing, and um, Alice DeBoer, who was in Fanny. Do you remember Fanny from the 60s? Yeah. Wow. Okay, so Fanny, <laughs> all of the women in Fanny are part of this too. And we just wow. had our first Women in Rock Oral History Project fundraiser mm-hmm. panel event in L.A. at Zebulon um, in January. Uh, so I was just oh, out fantastic. there. And we had mm-hmm. three panels. And then we had, oh, Alice Bag. She's another one. How could I forget Alice? And Michelle Gonzalez, who was from, also from Oakland, and she was not a riot girl, band, riot girl band. She was in a band called Spit Boy, and she was the drummer. And she's also written a book. And Alice Bag has written two books. Um, so I had never met any of these women. And January 22nd, I believe it was, uh, I might have the date wrong, January 14th, something around that. I was in L.A., and we all were together in this, Club Zebulon and met each other for the first time and we were on three panels. Um, the first panel was more the 90s stuff, you know, with Pussy Galore and uh, Spit Boy Rule and um, I can't remember, oh, and Patty Schemmel, yes, from Hole. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm missing one person, I can't remember her name. And then the second panel was Fanny the women in Fanny because they're actually just put out their a new record and for them for the B girls it's been forty years for for Fanny mm-hmm. it's been fifty years so think about that and they're playing gigs again now too the original band oh really and yeah wow. and then and then on my panel it was um, Neon who's my friend from New York and she's living in L A now and um, she had had a band here called Youthquake, and she's a trans woman who's actually just finishing going through the transition. So, you know, it's also this um, Women Love Rock Oral History is it's also about LGBTQ and, you know, gender fluid. Um, it's, it's underrepresented people, people who are left out of the mainstream history. And so we're mm-hmm. now telling our stories so that we exist. So Alice Bag was on our panel, and oh Frank, Frank lives in L.A. Have you heard of Frank? P H R A N C. 
So no. Frank is the Jewish lesbian folk singer, mm-hmm. and that's how, that's what she calls herself. And okay. um, look her up, and she's amazing. I'm going to. She Where is she playing? Songs. Do you know what kind of venue she's I don't playing? Know. She's in LA. in LA. She's in LA. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's in LA. Okay. And so we all met in this just before the panel for the first time, and we were all like mm-hmm. trading T-shirts, buying each other's books, you know, trading pins. It was like the old days of punk in New York for me. And uh, so we've now all exchanged information, and we're getting in touch with each other. We're going to get each other on gigs together, and it's just this whole amazing thing that uh, Tanya Pearson is doing. And so she's collecting more and more interviews. She's going to interview my friend Nikki Hill now. Um, I want her to interview Baby Shakes, the young girl band in New York. There's uh, my friend in Portland, Shauna Fay, who's another bass player. She's, she's a girl who's playing in uh, a band called the Black Mambas in LA, out of LA. And she's touring Japan a lot. I feel like she's my Aquarian sister. I, I see myself in her. Shauna, I love you. And, uh, yeah, so we're just trying to, you know, and the fact that the B-Girls record came out now, you know, it was like kind of a bummer that it took 40 years, but now it's also the, it's the perfect time for it. It is. It yeah, is. the whole Absolutely. girl power thing and, you know, now, you know, it's like now's the right time. And it's just. I mean, there's so many. There's so many magazines. There's like this Girls Talk London, which is about empowering young women to find their voice and start their own businesses, and you know, self confidence and all of that. So, through you know, through Instagram and all of that, like I'm connecting with more and more social media. Young yeah, women. yeah, Big time. yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. the young women who are starting to to do stuff well, in are. fashion and art and music and yeah. So you know what. That's that's very interesting you're talking about the young women because next Wednesday, I wanted to say next Wednesday, we have a special show with um, a new artist that's going to be on our show, Allie, um, who just recently went into the studio with Jack Douglas and recorded wow. her I know very Jack. first debut. Yeah, Jack's great. and uh, I love Jack. She's going to be on our show next Wednesday, so we're really, you know, I wanted to make that announcement and also for anyone listening that missed the beginning of the show, the show will be available on iTunes and afterwards um, as a podcast on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio. And we're going to be on for a few more minutes. And if you'd like to call in, it's 347-677-1036. But, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you one more question really quick because sure. you've been such a great interview um, because you've really – filled in a lot of the blanks. Spencer and I really have been just sitting back and taking this all in. We um, love it. We love it. It's great. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, you, when you were talking about your experience when you were on your spiritual journey, on one of your spiritual journeys, and you saw yourself as a child in the corner, um, that brought up thing that I had wanted to ask you was, how did you know that you wanted to play music? Um, how young were you when you knew that that's what you wanted to do? Like you referred to the bass, but we didn't really yeah, talk about so, how you got into right. it. 
Well, for me, I mean, I want to hear about that. Like the first, the earliest memory I have of knowing that mm-hmm. that's what I want to do and that's what I want to be is when I saw the Rolling mm-hmm. Stones on the Ed Sullivan Show for the first time. Oh, really? So I don't know what I don't know what year it was, but I know I was pretty young. Like mm-hmm. it was the '60s, you know. Wow. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I was. I think I was. I don't know how old. I feel like I was under ten. But mm-hmm. you know, there's also this thing about this putting limits on your dreams and what you want to be. I remember when I went to kindergarten, and you know how the teacher. This just relates to, like, how do you know what you want to do? And it's like, you know, when you're a kid mm-hmm. lying on the ground and you're looking at the clouds and you're dreaming about what you want to do and you're lying in the grass and you just think you could do anything and you're watching the clouds slowly move, I think that's mm-hmm. who we really are. That's, that's our core person. Yeah. And I think that somehow by people telling you what you can and can't do and by structures and restrictions, we externally push, you know, forget a little bit about who we are at our core and what we really wanted to do, the things that, like, we felt super passionate about. And those are the Mm -hmm. things that we need to go out and do. Those are the things that really matter in our lives. You know, sometimes life forces you into situations of responsibility, but I just want people to think back to who they were as that child because when I first went to kindergarten, I remember, um, you know, the teacher saying this thing about what do you want to be when you grow up and do a painting of that. And I did two paintings, and one was a lion and one was a cowboy. And I remember the teacher keeping me in after the class and having a talk with me and telling me that I couldn't be a lion and I couldn't be a cowboy. And I was heartbroken. I cried about that. And that was my first experience of, like, having my dream, you know, like, feeling like I couldn't breathe and, like, having my dream just, like, stifled. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I started, I think, at that age, trying to escape reality a lot. And I did that through books. And, you know, Mm -hmm. one of, I mean, I read voraciously. And I used to also daydream all the time to the point where I wasn't even in the room when I was in school. I was actually bored because I could read before I went to kindergarten. And so in grade one, uh, they almost failed me because they thought I couldn't read, but I was just so bored. And, you know, when I used to go to, I don't know if you had bookmobiles in the States, but, you know, I used to go to this mobile library and you were only allowed six books and I could read six books in one day. And so I would sit there for the hour or two that they were there and I would read as many books as I could. But, you know, oh, I remember great. reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And that's mm-hmm. pretty much the metaphor for who I am as a person, like escaping through that into another world. Oh, that's awesome. Kind of like Narnia. Yeah, Narnia. <laughs> Going to Narnia. Narnia. Yeah, let's go to Narnia, man. Let's just get in the closet there and go to Narnia and play in the <laughs> snow and stuff. Yeah, no. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, you are just like, you you have such a great story and, 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 and factual stuff that you've been through. You've lived such so much in such a short time in your life. Um Really looking forward to her your book coming out. Yeah, we'd I mean, love we to have you enough. back. 
Yeah. And, yeah, and you know, we, we haven't mentioned, we haven't mentioned that. Well, I'm sorry. We haven't mentioned also that Cynthia went out with Siv Bader's of the oh, Dead yeah, Boys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other book. That's a whole other mm-hmm. book. Well, <laughs> you know what? So it's my time now. <laughs> well, you should. Yeah. I mean, this is where you know, your world yeah, is. Yeah, but, I mean, it, you know, it's kind of, it's weird because in the last couple of years, like this whole thing of, you know, being in my body and reclaiming who I am and finding my power and, like, doing all this stuff, and now it's happening. Yeah. It's like I'm not that girl behind the guy anymore. Right. I'm, I'm out there. I'm out there in front doing it. Last night but I played you. bass. Yeah, last night I played bass with Martin Rev from Suicide. You know, Fantastic. and I've done it twice. But you were like, so excited night, too. It was amazing. <laughs> it was another dream come true for me. Yeah, and you know, and Suicide were produced by by again uh, Craig Leon. So mm. we go back to that, and you know, it's a whole little inner circle. But yeah. For those of us still around, I feel like giving back is like me giving back is managing Beachwood and putting young girl bands on the bill and mentoring young girls who are playing music and encouraging people the way that Debbie Harry did that for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. No, big time. Big time. I get that from you. You totally are into the moment and really into promoting and helping other people reach their dreams as well. And uh, I, I get that from you. And I think that, um, do you, do you think I have, a, I have a, a question for you on yoga. Do you think that your time going into the yoga community and, and basically centering yourself um, and, and knowing more and, and doing self-discovery? Cause I know that that's what I do. Don't you yes. think that really helped you shape, like, really what you really wanted and it really helped you reclaim your own identity on what you're doing? Yes, because um, otherwise, in a weird way, and I know you're going to understand this, Holly, it's like we're mm-hmm. just repeating, we're repeating our core pattern. We're repeating mm-hmm. that lesson over and over and over again yep. until we change the script. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you learn what that is, and it's like, are you continually, like, being a victim, putting yourself in situations where you're a victim, or not achieving success by taking that risk to, like, go that one step further than where you've always gone, like, before, like, I sabotaged the B-girls by breaking the band up right when we were on the verge of greatness, like, you know, of making it huge, Mm -hmm. but it's that fear of uh, success, you know? So I learned a lot about, like, self-denial, like, all of that. Like, what is that about, you know, living in the moment? Um, exactly. Being in the moment. Yeah. Being here now. Yeah. Now. Exactly. Yeah, like Eckhart Tolle. And then, like, yeah. Yeah. And then owning so, what you what you did, you know, and then dealing with it and, 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 and talking about it and working through it. That's, like, so important, I think, with so many people. They don't realize right. that, you know. Right. Fear is fear is a construct, a construct of the future. Mm-hmm. It's a mental construct. So I always mm-hmm. tell myself, if the only reason you're not going to do anything is because you're you're afraid, if it's just mm-hmm. fear, do it anyway. Walk through that fear. But you know, my second rule for myself now, because I've had so many regrets in the past, and I don't want to live with regrets anymore. I have hardly any time left. I want to enjoy it. You know, is 
if I feel, if my stomach tells me it's something I might regret, I, I don't do it or I do do it because I don't want to wake up tomorrow saying, wow, I wish I'd done that or I wish I hadn't done that. Yeah, no. Yeah, your heart makes it really clear to you, I think. You know, I think that a lot of people now as artists are realizing more because they're doing more, I think, from the soul. Um, and as Spencer understands that because we've had, like, a lot of filmmakers on, and you mentioned something about a about Rumble earlier. We just did an interview with um, a gentleman who did a movie called Rumble with based okay. on that song that your friend was playing. So right. it was Link so Ray cool Rumble. to hear yeah. that. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just like owning it and, and, and doing your own thing emotionally. It's like your emotional outlet. So this is really beautiful what you're doing and the books and, you know, the music and all the other groups and stuff. I mean, yeah, this starting, is just yeah, this starting is fantastic. To do, yeah. So I'm doing some spoken word, and, like, Jeff and Dom are going to musically back me on that. So my next thing will be the first time that that I'll step out and I won't be the bass player behind the guy or the Mm -hmm. girl, you know. I'll be Mm -hmm. having to say my own words because even if I wrote the songs, some of them in the B-Girls, you know, I wasn't the one singing them. So that's 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 a whole, if it's only fear, i got to do it anyway, and, mm-hmm. you know, time is running out, so, you know. Well, you know, you as a parent, too, I wanted to ask you, are your, are your kids, um, are your, I'm sure they're young adults now, are they into music? Are they involved in the music industry so in any it's way? Really, it's really interesting. I mean, you'll have to read my book for this, the whole story about my eldest child, um, Robin, and she might be listening now in Edmonton, Alberta. She's actually not, you know, she's 46 or 47, actually. So you can place that in my age. And she was, you know, my first child, I got pregnant when I was a teenager. And I gave her up for adoption uh, after about nine months. And uh, hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Anyway, we've reunited. Uh, when she was 29, she found me. So that's a while ago. Wow. We have a great relationship, but the weird thing is, she is like my my mirror uh, reflection. She likes the same music as I do. She looks exactly like me. She, her voice sounds like me. Um, she plays bass. She plays keyboard. Really? She played in a band. She worked. She was working in a music store when we first no reunited. Way. Yes. Oh and wow! It's so crazy. Her favorite band in the whole world is suicide like go figure really? that out she and here last night Cohen. you lived the dream oh yes. that's crazy and so th- so some other my other two children um dylan he does lighting he worked for cirque du soleil as a lighting director and now he works wow. for a lighting company called act they make lighting boards mm-hmm. for broadway and for bands and and you know my daughter amanda is uh, a mom. She, I have a one and a half year old grandson, Jackson. So oh, she was just, yeah, oh. she lives just north of the city. And uh, you know, and another resolution thing was this year. Uh, I actually had the gift of meeting uh, my daughter Robin's parents in Edmonton for the very oh, first wow. time. The parents that raised her, and and I love them. I love them dearly, Eric and Alexis. Yeah. 
What an emotional so, thing, but what a what how much so much closure and so much beautiful story in that, you know? And the fact that she worked in a music store, that's so trippy. And wow. they sold the and they sold the B girls thing there. And that was the first time she saw me. Oh, like it was no. before we met each other. Really? She looked me up on the all music guide and called her boss and said, Do we have anything by the B girls? And he said, We have one CD or record and she said keep the shop open I need that and drove over there and got it and was terrified to look at it because you know as a person who has been adopted you sure you've never looked like anyone in your life right like Mm -hmm. and so she looked at the cover of that and of course we look pretty much exactly alike wow so yeah so I've asked her I mean her permission to talk about this openly. And, uh, you know, obviously that whole story is a big part of my book. It's really a woman's story. It's not just, you know, Stiv, Johnny, uh, The Clash, uh, The B-Girls, although that, of course, is part of it because that's a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's about you and who you are. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, you know, we definitely, Spencer and I both definitely want to have you back when you uh, finish your book or when yeah, you're finishing your book definitely, and definitely, on the definitely. next project. And I'm then, looking for um, a, pub- a publisher now, so that's my next step. So. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Are you going to self-publish or you, you no. do you want to look for a publisher? Yeah. yeah. You and Spencer should talk about that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I've, I've, Sophie, I've done like 21 pop culture books, so... You could always, uh, I could give you advice if you want. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a few things That'd that I have cool. in my mind as to who I would want to publish with. And, you know, mm-hmm. as with the as with the B-Girls and everything, it's like I think you can do anything you want. You just have to make it happen. If you can see it, it can happen. Mm-hmm. I, I want to bring up, uh, Holly, let me bring up something before we get off the air. Um, I went to, um, and it has to do with, Cynthia, what you're talking about, um, I went to an event last night, which uh, I had to go to Chris Franz, who was on our radio show right. last week, right. and um, I've designed with Talking Heads, you know, and then with the famous Richard Lloyd, who has a book out. And that's right. what I want to talk about, is that his book is published by a, uh, and Holly, you're getting a copy, of course. Uh, this book is being published by a uh, small publisher, which I, I, I've never even heard of. But I'm finding that there are a number, uh, the good news is, Cynthia, that there are a number of publishers that Holly and I get um, that are small and uh, do these books. So there's a wider range now, I think, of books you can put out. In the, old, in the old days, it was more like you had these very big publishers. There were not that many small publishers. And right. you know, it's, it's like indie. You know, it's like it's like this uh, doing a CD today. Anybody could do it. It's like if right. you do a book, anybody could get a deal. So hopefully this will happen. I'm sure, sure it's a really good book. And, and by the way, Chris Franz is writing a book. We're going to have him on our show eventually. So well, um, Kid Congo, Kid Congo is writing a book too. I was talking to yeah. him last night from the Cramps, and you know, yeah. So oh, that's cool. My favorite. I've been reading like so many uh, memoirs and you know autobiographies because that's what I'm doing. So it, you know, it's kind of like research. And one of my favorite books. Uh, I love Patty Schemmel's book, but really the one that I almost, I feel like I need to meet Viv Albertine because her book 
is mm-hmm. is amazing, and her and I have so much in common. Her story is almost mirrors my story. I mean, there's some differences, wow. but yeah. So I would really, at some point, I would love to meet Viv Valbertine because the Slits mm-hmm. were touring, you know, with the Clash at the same time as the B Girls were touring with the Clash, and mm-hmm. she was going out with Mick Jones oh. at the same time that I was going out with Stiv, and mm-hmm. we were that same girl in the band that was more like about the music yeah. and so invested in wow. the music so wow. um, yeah I would love to meet her Unbelievable. oh that's fantastic well for everyone listening I'm sure that you know because there are a lot of people listening I can just let you know that and I want to thank everyone for listening and again if you missed the beginning it will be available as a download afterwards um and uh, I want to thank you for being here today and telling so much of your story and touching on so many emotional things I know that probably were really painful for you at one time in your life. And uh, mm-hmm. being able to talk about it now today, it's like, you know, you can look at that as an accomplishment, you know, and that's so beautiful. Holly, I want to bring up something very quickly. Cynthia, remember when I yeah. talked, to, I talked to you a number of times, but I remember a while <laughs> ago when I talked to you and you were like in this whole area where, oh, I don't know where I like where I'm now. I want to do my own thing. <laughs> I remember this. I remember that phone call, Cynthia, and here you are now. I'm doing it all. I know. Doing and it I'm all ter- and more. <laughs> and more, I'm right? Yeah. I didn't know how I was going to survive. I was like, oh, my God, I'm here alone in New York. I'm, like, completely on my own and, you know, sad and, like, scared. And it's like then I just started doing things. It was a new journey for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a new journey. It was a new journey. Um, I wanted to say again really quickly, this Wednesday, um, tune in for Allie McManus' debut album called Unbreakable. I wanted to make sure I did put that in there. I didn't give her last name earlier or the album name, which I kind of screwed up on that, but <laughs> I made up for it. If you're, in, so, if you're in New York, yeah, if you're in New York, please come to Beachwood's record release party tomorrow at 8 p.m. at Berlin under A on the Lower East Side with four great bands. Yeah, I wanted uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you if you wanted to make any announcements. So let's hear about that again real quick. Tomorrow night? Tomorrow night, 8 p.m., Berlin, Beachwood's okay. record release party, songs, uh, songs from the Land of Nod, out on a live natural sounds and available at Bump Mail Order and also at Rough Trade and various other record shops and online, you know, Google, whatever. But, yeah came out today it's my birthday and that's my birthday present Yay! for the world happy birthday happy birthday yeah. from us <laughs> and i wanted i wanted my guest host spencer to introduce himself because we didn't do that in the beginning um a little bit about yourself spencer because i know you're a very uh a very yeah. oh, thank you holly um, thank you uh yeah my artistic my uh I'm, person. If people don't know me out there you're just listening in uh I've I have my work and I'm very honored to have my work in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame vinyl collection and this is the key we have a link with the only music designers with a link so that's a great honor and I'm also in the MoMA and AIGA archival collection and it's a 4 minute interview with me and Judith that's on YouTube indefinitely and um 
And uh, I really love the show, Holly. I, I, Cynthia, this show is really means a lot to me. Uh, you did a, it's a great show tonight. Yeah, I want to thank you both, yeah. really, for having me on here. Are you here. kidding? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it's cool. And um, I'm just Holly Steffi, and um, <laughs> I'm just Holly. Steffi. I've done a lot. I've done a lot, but I just, don't, I just, there's not enough time to talk about what I've done. So Holly's been in a long agreement. I gotta introduce you. Uh, Holly has a, a very creative, versatile background. <laughs> And by the way, one of the best cooks in the world, I have to implore uh, that also, the the cooking of Holly. It's like you get on the phone, uh, Cynthia, with Holly on food, and I'm hungry. In other words, I if I can't get on the phone with her when I'm hungry, I'm out, it's out of control then. I mean, but she makes me want to have wonderful food, and she is the best. I want to, one of the most creative cooks. I'm, right, and I'm writing a book. I'm blessed I'm, with that. I'm, I'm blessed with that. I know you're yeah. writing a book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're in San Francisco, right? Yeah, she's got a book. I am in Sonoma, actually. Oh, Sonoma. On, okay. Um, yeah, where we're getting flooded right now. We're having uh, major rainstorms, but you know what? We needed it after all that rain. But the thing is, we're getting a lot of rain, and we had the rain, and we had the fires, and I was in the middle of fires. Oh, I mean, yeah. literally with black ash falling down so, uh, around me, yeah. but. Um, you know, but the ground does not know how to absorb all this rain. So we've had some mm. mudslides and, wow. you know, um, some unfortunate situations. But, you know, we're rebuilding, and as they say, Sonoma is strong. So, yeah, it's, it's it's a beautiful area, and there's a lot of really cool culture going on here. And, yeah, I'm not far from the city, um, and it's, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm doing that I'm working on, but um, you know, we can talk about that in another time. I, I'm just so excited that you were able to be here today, and especially on your birthday. Now, I want to ask you, when we when we get done with our interview, what do you have to do for your birthday today, tonight? <laughs> I'm rehearsing with Jeff at my house uh, for tomorrow. It's <laughs> record uh, wow release party, and yeah, the records just arrived from. Uh, L.A. by FedEx, so I'm sorting all that stuff out and figuring out because I'm their manager now too, so I'm figuring out the details. Oh, that's great, with Gordon and those guys for their party tomorrow. So, well, yeah. you know what? You know, you know what's interesting, Cynthia. This is a group that's really good. So, uh, as a manager, your your first group you're working with in this case is really good. So, uh, I'm very proud of you in that respect too. Very happy. Here. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. my first one was the B girls actually. So. <laughs> Oh really? Oh, you really? were the man. Yeah, she was yes. that manager. She chose what they were going to do, and she made a <laughs> choice. The pajamas, wow. the boots, and yes. the pillows. So there wow. you yes. go. I can't get you know, that visual out of my mind. It's like yes. pink flannel pajamas, boots, cowboy boots, oh, and yeah. uh, pillows. <laughs> pillows. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is just too funny. And I well, want to you know, say I saw we're, I saw Bob Gruen last night in Spencer, uh-huh. you know Gruen. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, his photographs are on the B Girls record, and he's just such a sweetheart. I mean, I love seeing people love that Bob. I've known for all this time. And uh, I saw Bob and Elizabeth at the suicide thing last night, and uh, he loves the B Girls record the way it looks. And I apologize to him because. I said, oh, God, they didn't put your name right beside the photo. He goes, are you kidding? You're lucky to get a credit on the record at all, you know? (laughs) 
As long as he gets a credit, as long as he gets a credit. We love Bob's photos. We love Bob. I saw Bob at Richard Hell event. I mean, the Richard Lloyd event uh, last night. Before that, yes, he must have been all over the city last night. Um, Flying, Holly, he flies. Have you heard? Yeah, have you heard his son Chris's music at all? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we had him on. Chris has been on the show. Yeah, he's great. I remember when Chris Mm -hmm. was like a little, a toddler, you know. Oh, really? At Massa's Kansas mm-hmm. City. Yes, I've known wow. Chris since he was probably two years old. Oh, that's a great so, story. Yeah. Chris is so, yes, so special, and his music is really special. He lives out in the middle of nowhere on a farm. Right. <laughs> he loves yeah. it. He loves it. He, he loves he just, living he like yeah, that. Yeah, he just played, uh, he played Bob's birthday, I think, this past year. Yeah, I saw it. That's fantastic. So, well, you know, anyway, we're probably talked show. this way too long. Yeah. Oh no, 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 no! You didn't. I extended the show, and it was worth it because you have such a beautiful story to tell, and you painted such a beautiful picture for so many of us. Um, and there's so much more. I know. Um, we are ending the show today with a song called "Alibi," not version two, the original version. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about that? It was written by Graham Stairs and Roman Bish, two friends of ours, and it's just a great girl group sounding song. Like, think about the Shangri-Las when you hear the song. I love this song. Yeah, I picked, um, it's funny, I picked out Fun at the Beach and Alibi. I, I, those, and I didn't even know that Fun at the Beach was your first single ever. Yep. That's funny. But, you know. And I love Alibi, and the current B-girls do Alibi, so yeah. Oh, really? Okay, well, we're going to end with that. And, uh, again, it's Friday. Please don't drink and drive, guys. And uh, happy birthday to you, Cynthia. And um, for all, the, so our, all our friends at, Enjoy. Yeah, Enjoy. For all our friends at NAM, I hope that you guys are rocking out and having fun. And uh, uh, I want to thank um, Carol Chaos for um, setting up this interview for us next Wednesday with Allie and uh, make sure to tune in for that. And then Friday, Friday we have a show with, um, who is it again? It's with a film, a film on Iggy Pop, right? We have next, I got to get my book open, Holly. <laughs> I'm sorry. What's um, Wednesday we have Allie McManus. And then Friday we have a show on the new film with Iggy Pop on Iggy Pop, I believe. Uh, no, no, is actually, actually next week, it? no, next week we have Anthony DeCurtis part two. That's right. Anthony DeCurtis part two. He's like you. He just has so much to tell and not enough time. That's yeah, right. So that's we did right. a second show. And, and by the way, myself and Judith are mentioned in the book. We're very honored. And he's just a great author, right, Holly? So the book is outrageous. Yeah. The bio of Lou Reed, a life book. If you're going to read a bio book on Lou, this is the book. It really is. Oh, yeah. That would be a good book for her to read when when she gets a chance. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Well, with that, let's play Alibi. And uh, happy Friday to everyone. And uh, be safe and always aware of your surroundings. And uh, be peace and um, love wherever you go. So thank you so much, Cynthia, for being here. Thank um, you both. Thank you, Spencer. Here you guys go. Enjoy. Enjoy. Yep. Here we go.